Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the European Show. We're back after that mini break, after the international break in in, in other places other than Europe. Um, and so yeah, we're going to look ahead to this weekend's fixtures. And so to join me in doing so, as usual, is, is Nick. Hello, hello. Welcome back everyone. How are you doing, Jack? I'm, I'm doing good and I'm ready to go. So... The first place we'll start is in Spain. Um, there was some copper. It's a common theme that we always neglect um, the cup competitions because there's never. We are quite lazy in, in looking at them, but they, there's never any like proper hype around it. Like this is what's happening. Um, the Copa del Rey is happening, but the Copa del Rey has happened, and it has produced some very, a very interesting set of four for the semi-finals. Yeah, uh, I would say that this has been one of the most entertaining um, Copa match days in a while. Um, to begin, uh, on Wednesday, Rayo Vallecano beat Mallorca 1-0. So now Rayo, which has also been doing a very good job in the league, uh, is in the Copa semi-finals. Then Valencia beat Cadiz 2-1. Uh, Marcelino, who's kind of like the king of king of the cup, basically, and is currently managing... No, he's fucking not. He got fired. Um, <laughs> um, so now Valencia will be aiming for their second Copa, Copa in four years, I believe. Uh, and then on Thursday, we got the really, really uh, interesting results. First of all, Betis played at Real Sociedad. Uh, and the previous time they had met each other in the season, Betis thrashed Sociedad uh, by three or four goals. And once again today, Betis thrashed um, Real Sociedad. They, they won 4-0. With goals from Juanmi uh, twice, uh, William Jose penalty, and uh, a final nail in the coffin by Aitor Royel in the 87th minute. It was, it's, I, I don't understand, like, Red that is such a good team, and normally they're so composed and solid, and just whenever they play Betis, they completely collapse. All, all semblance of like a defending and a structured play just goes down the toilet, and they just got, got completely overrun. I, I, I don't know if it's uh, Sociedad's fault. Or if it's um, um, Pellegrini on the bench for Betis, who just is, happens to be really good at playing against Real Sociedad. But um, but yeah, whatever it is, we got <laughs> we got a great game with a lot of with a lot of entertainment. Unless uh, you happen to live in San Sebastián and support Real Sociedad, in which case I'm terribly sorry for you. Uh, and then the second game on Thursday, which also gave us quite a shock. Uh, Real Madrid played against the Athletic Club. First, there's a bit of of a scandal or an outrage around this game because uh, a lot of Real Madrid's South American players were playing in the World Cup qualifiers and their national teams wouldn't let them come back uh, for this game. And so Real Madrid uh, got into a bit of a fight with, with this, particularly the Brazilian Football Federation. But eventually they came to an agreement and Real Madrid recovered uh, their South American players. So their lineup once again featured Vinicius Jr., Casemiro, Rodrigo and such, um, but but even then with their um, with their squad recovered to full strength, uh, Athletic Club Athletic Club came out dominating from the first minute. I think here you could really really feel the home advantage. San Mamés, uh, which is Athletic Club's uh, Athletic Bilbao Stadium, is a really imposing stadium and it's quite well known for being uh, a, a really good atmosphere in Spain. And today was like really special. You could really hear. Uh, the crowd roaring and you could see the players reacting to that from the first minute they were ambitious and really just going out 
like hungry, trying to trying to get the ball and and yeah, they're just very ambitious and they kind of ate up Real Madrid in the first half. They they just kind of overran. Usually this season we've seen Real Madrid having control uh, of the game and really dictating the flow of play, but this time this time it was all Athletic Club basically. Um, but uh, but no nothing came of the of the first half of dominance from from Bilbao. They did manage to get some shots off, but Nacho and Militao uh, in in the centre back positions basically just drowned out most of the important uh, attacks. Nico Williams did have a very good game, uh, and he he's been doing really good in cup competitions in the Super Cup and in the previous round of the of the Copa and the Rey. He was instrumental in knocking out both Barcelona and uh, and uh, Atletico Madrid, and today he also played a very good game. But he came off injured, which is sad to see because this is probably gonna cut off his uh, his streak a little bit, and we're all getting very excited watching him. But uh, but come the second half, Real Madrid uh, kind of composed themselves and they retook control of the game. It became a much more even match, uh, with both sides coming and going a lot. Uh, and just as Real Madrid looked like if they were going to push the game into extra time, Berenguer grabs the ball outside of the box and just curls it in right past the post. It's an amazing goal with them, like two minutes left on the clock. And and uh, Athletic Bilbao came away with a 1-0 win, meaning meaning now that pretty much all of um, the Liga's top clubs are out of the running. The The best club left is Betis and they will consider themselves favourites. But it's a very, very tough competition. And yeah, so Atletico Madrid Barcelona and Real Madrid and Sevilla are all out. So yeah, it'd definitely be interesting who ends up in the final. Um, La Liga, the biggest game this weekend is between Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. Two teams that you could argue have been struggling as of late. Indeed, we we see a very inconsistent Barcelona. Uh, Some days they come out uh, motivated and energetic and playing quite well. Some days they're just completely dead and don't seem like they want to play football. Meanwhile, Aliti have a similar problem. They just kind of, on some days, they come out and they're completely incoherent. Like, they just don't know what to do with the ball. They can't find the passes. They can't think of anything creative to do with the ball. And it's just dead football. Uh, and terrible defending, of course. And then sometimes you have Lemar and Correa and Joe Felix just balling out and playing with defenders. So it's it's kind of... A complete gamble about how this game would go. I would say Atletico are the slight favourites, but uh, it's really marginal. It's a pretty even game. I'd say both teams are equally having a rough patches. Sorry, both teams are having equally rough patches, really. Uh, but obviously, this is really important for both of them because they're currently only separated by one point. Uh, Atletico is fourth, and Barcelona is fifth. So they're both on the verge of the of either getting into or getting knocked out of a Champions League spot, and they'll both really really want to avoid that, uh, losing this game. Then uh, moving on to the other games, Real Madrid plays against Granada. Um, Granada is pretty mid-table. Real Madrid will really really not want to cock this one up, uh, and I think they they should be perfectly capable of getting three points here. Sevilla, who are right behind, uh, chasing Real Madrid. They will be playing Osasuna. Osasuna is also quite a, a mid-table club. I think they're more capable of causing trouble for Sevilla uh, than in the previous game than the Granada would for Real Madrid. So I think this one we could see a draw, but Sevilla will once again probably win. 
uh, and then the really important one, uh, apart from the Atleti Barca one, obviously, Betis play Villarreal. Uh, we've been saying Betis have been tailing against the uh, behind the other two, but a win here would be really really important, uh, especially against a good team like Villarreal who currently sits seventh. Uh, and obviously three points here would be would be very significant and would boost them and help them get hopefully closer to to those top spots um so obviously while we were gone the transfer window happened um obviously there's one team made some interesting moves to say the least and that's barcelona um, obviously, early on in the window, they signed Ferran Torres and Danny Alves. <laughs> they then proceeded to bring in Adama Chorori on loan from Wolves, and then signed Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on a free transfer, while also being unable to offload Ousmane Dembele. Um, so that does mean that they have a lot of attackers, but lack of quality attackers yeah absolutely it it feels like a very random desperate transfer window they were just ringing up anyone who would listen to them and being like please come to barcelona i'm begging you because it's it's unplanned and it feels very chaotic like who do you play in attack this is going to choke out some promising youth players like ansu fati and ez abde because we've like all season long we've just been seeing that their academy players are <laughs> significantly better than their starting 11 and now you, you've brought in this heap of attackers and now, bless you, and now uh, and, and now all of their academy attackers are just going to have to compete with them against these star names. I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll be better than these star names, but still, now they have more competition. Uh, and obviously, star names require big budget. Mo- most of them did lower their wage, in fairness, especially Traore, um, who lowered his wage by quite a lot. But still... It's kind of nonsensical, especially when your biggest problem is in defense. Signing Dani Alves obviously it helps with this a lot, but still, <laughs> the fact the fact remains that Barcelona's defense is still rubbish, and also they have three good midfielders, all of which are academy products. So um, I think they really didn't look where they didn't they didn't reinforce the parts of their team that actually needed reinforcing. Also for the Europa League, they were only allowed to register, I think, three new signings. And they registered, I think, Ferran Torres, Aubameyang, and Adam Atrare. So they left out Dani Alves. And, uh, okay, I, I was skeptical about the Dani Alves signing at first. Cause I was like, oh yeah, he's quite old and he's been playing in South America for a while. I don't know if he'll be able to keep up uh, in Europe again. And he landed and he was doing great. He was like such an important piece of the team. Like Barcelona had had a rubbish right back. Uh, situation for the last few seasons and Daniel Alves seemed to just like come in and just pick up from where he left off and now they've just left them out for three players who play in roughly similar positions and none of which are like decidedly special obviously obviously Aubameyang was special at some point Ferran Torres is really good I think he could actually make a difference but like but like, come on! How are you gonna leave out this 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 right back who has made such a big impact on the team in like a month of within a month of arriving? It's crazy! It's stupid, really. So I think that's seriously gonna damage their Europa League hopes. Um, I think it's also worth noting that obviously Adama Traore has returned to Barcelona as he did come out of La Masia. Um, but obviously Pierre Aubameyang 
it, it was it was known and has been known for several years that he said he wishes to play for Real Madrid because he made a promise to his grandfather. Obviously, this is not Real Madrid. This is this is Barcelona, and so I just think it's funny how he stated he would rather play for their rivals than than the extra team. But then when it comes to it, he just kind of jumped at the opportunity. Yeah. Also, uh, Barcelona had problems with uh, attitude in the changing rooms, particularly Usman Dembele, who was kind of rebelling against the management team, and. Uh, and then they just sign some some really big ego big ego names, n- n- namely Aubameyang, who also rebelled against the management against Arsenal, and he. he it is also it's also worth noting that this happened at Dortmund as well. It has been notorious at Dembele to push for his move to Barcelona, just mistraining, and so <laughs> it's just funny how chaos is probably going to be. Enjoyed the past exactly, and now if Aubameyang doesn't get get things his way, uh, or he he's upset, he might start um, kind of acting up as well, like he did in his final few months at Arsenal. And I think that's just, I I I think he's really more of a he will end up being more of a problem for Barcelona than, than a, than a benefit. Uh, the the main point is they already have strikers, and especially Ferran Torres, like. He can he can do the job well. Like in in the few games he's he's been in, he's done a pretty decent job. And now you have you have Depay who you had before, Luke the Young, Ansu Fati who can play a striker, Ferran Torres, and Bamiyan. You have five strikers, five strikers. And in midfield you have Nico Ngavi, you have uh, Frankie de Jong and Busquets, and those last two are quite inconsistent. Uh, so what, what what do you do? What do you even do? It it it's just funny how they've signed all these players, um, but ultimately, come the end of March, their main play will be Adama Traore running down the wing, lobbing in crosses for Luke. De <laughs> mm-hmm. Also important important to note that uh, last summer, um, Barcelona uh, sent out Trincao on loan to Wolves because he wasn't good enough for Barcelona and he just wasn't wasn't up to scratch really and in his half season at Wolves uh, Trincao who plays in the same position as Adam Atrari managed to bench Adam Atrari uh, and now he starts over him and then Barcelona were like you know what we're going to do we're going to sign the guy who our loan player benched and I just think that's ridiculous <laughs> I just think that that's the most absurd logic ever uh, a team, however, who are used to doing smart transfers are Sevilla. Obviously, they are fighting for the title with Real Madrid. And in, in this January, they've brought in two players. They've brought in Jesus Corona from Porto and Anthony Martial from, from Manchester United on loan. And obviously, Yusuf Nasiri has been injured for quite a while or for some time, which is obviously an issue when he is your main striker and your best striker. Um... So, are these signings, obviously, when I asked you, could Sevilla win the league, you kind of shitted on them and said no. <laughs> but, obviously, we can't write it off any now, but can these signings be transformative for Sevilla and take them and help them really close that gap on, on Real Madrid and, and take, take first? Yeah, I do think so, especially because... Uh, in these last few games, Sevilla has been missing a bit of attacking power, 
uh, and a bit of um, that finishing touch, which Jesus Corona in particular will provide, because they can create quite quite well. Ocampos in particular uh, is one of the one of the best creators in the league, I would say. Um, but then they can't; they, they just can't slot it in. But I think that the main, the, I think absolutely the best transfer-related business they've done is in not allowing Diego Carlos to go to Newcastle because I mean we always talk about Kunde and Diego Carlos and like the pair of them are so unbelievably solid together like Sevilla's defensive stats are absurd they, they have the least goals conceded in the league by, by a large margin and that's mainly due to just these two defenders and in not letting one of them go it gives them a huge chance uh, it completely keeps their title hopes alive because I, I generally think without Diego Carlos, Diego Carlos they will just collapse so so with that, yeah, it, it's just massive, massive uh, news for them because Diego Carlos did have an agreement with um with Newcastle and he was ready to leave. Yeah, it'd be. I think we're at the point now for Sevilla. It's kind of now or never. Uh, well, not never, but now or wait a while again because obviously Koundé will probably leave at the end of the season. Diego Carlos will probably leave at the end of the season unless they're able to find some equally good centre-backs then it, it's going to be hard to live up to, to the to these two so now we'll have a break and then we'll be back with Syria and Liga. welcome back from our break um, you're, we're now going to look at Syria. So, um, the biggest game this weekend is between Inter Milan and AC Milan. Is, yeah, Inter Milan are four points clear at the top of the table, um, ahead of Napoli and Milan, who are joint on points. Milan are third, however... It, it, hold on. It is important to note that Inter does have a game in hand for now, so they could extend their lead by three more points, potentially. It, it will be interesting to see how Inter Milan's new signings... Um, get on if they play obviously um they've signed robin goosens from atalanta and and felipe casado from lazio um goosens definitely strengthens the team in the left wing back position and it'd be interesting to see if he's able to carry on the form and the output that he that he did at atalanta um Especially because yeah, especially because you'll be standing in the spot of Perisic, who has good days, and he's good offensively, but defensively he's he won't have what what Guzins what, what Guzins has, and I I think that's really where well we'll see the difference because Perisic he's more of a left mid or left winger, while Robin Guzins is a, a, a dedicated left wing back, and and so I think we'll really see his specialties shine. Uh, at Inter, who who consistently play a, a three at the back, so I think that, that both both parties here will really bring out the most the most of each other. Um, so de- definitely, Robin Goosens is uh, is the type of chance where I'll be keeping my eye down and see how he how he is done. Um, another team who has performed s- some actual in- good transfer business for once is Juventus. Um, at the weekend, they're playing Hellas Verona, and we may see the debuts for Dennis Zakaria, who joined for Borussia Mönchengladbach. But most interestingly, 
is Dusan Vlahovic, who joined from Fiorentina. Obviously, this is probably the most, is the biggest transfer that happened over this summer, and probably the most interesting, the fact that Vlahovic has just left Fiorentina mid-season to join Juventus. Um, obviously, this is the third player now that Juventus have po- poached. Oh, there's more than that, but the third in recent times that Juventus have poached from Fiorentina, as it's now Vlahovic, Chiesa and Bernadeschi. Um, however, although this does address some issues for Juventus, notably in attack, I do think the output of Vlahovic is going to decrease now. Yeah, at least a little bit. Maybe he'll be getting used to a new team, but also uh, getting... Um, well, we've talked about how um, Juventus' midfield is kind of slow and they can be a bit uncreative sometimes. So I think that will will be a bit of a problem. But obviously Vlahovic is a great striker who can do a lot with very little. That's really been his main characteristic. And at the end of the day, we have to remember that Fiorentina's midfield wasn't world-class either. So I don't think it'll be that much of a shocking difference to him. I do think that actually in midfield is where... Uh, obviously, Vlahovic was the best signing uh, and transferated news for, for Juventus. But another uh, another thing that really makes such a standout window for Juve is that they cleared out a lot of just rubbish players, basically. Uh, they got rid of Aaron Ramsey... Kulusevski and um, Bentancur, those last two being uh, offloaded to Spurs. Um, basically, all three of these players, uh, well, first of all, they were all interesting big name signings and they were signed and they slowly started dying out um, as time went by. And now nowadays they're just really, they just drag the team down. They're all slow, they're lost and they don't link with the rest of the team. And so I think that really this is where uh, one of the biggest changes is going to be made, especially because quite a few of them had quite big wages and Juve was suffering economically, similar to Barcelona. So I think this is a massive step in the right direction in terms of management of the club. Um, Fiorentina have replaced Vlahovic with Arthur Cabral. Um, It'd be interesting how Cabral does in a major league. As it's, it's known that he's, he's been producing the same sort of numbers as Erling Haaland and, and Vlahovic. However, it has been for Basel. So obviously, that does have to be taken into consideration when um, when talking about this. But he's definitely another person to watch out for to see if he's able to... It'd be hard to match the goals of Vlahovic. But um, he he's in a good team to try and help him produce um, or show his talent. Um and then Napoli against Venezia. Napoli had quite a relatively quiet transfer window. Um, they, the only notable income was Axel Twanzebi from Manchester United, who's replacing Manolas, um, who's moved to Olympiacos. Apart from that, there's nothing really um, more to come from it. You could use the cliche that Victor Wasserman, who's fully recovered from his injuries, will be just like a new signing again. Um, but I don't think that would be the case. Um, but it would be interesting if Napoli are now able to, once again, mount a title challenge. Um, so now on to Liga. PSG are always the gift that keeps on giving. And they are that once again. Um, in the Coupe de France last weekend, they lost some penalties to Nice. Obviously Nice are no mugs now. 
um, but it was once again a terrible performance from PSG. Uh, especially Messi. Where, like. Yeah, Messi once again underperforming. Um, this is just, yeah, I, I, I don't think we can keep going on. It's, it's clearly known that Messi's playing absolutely dreadful. I, I, I think he doesn't um, really care. I, I think he just kind of was like, he just lost his motivation after kind of getting booted out of Barca, and he's just like, okay. I, I keep on making money. Yeah, no, he's just he's just coasting. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. It's that what he's doing? Absolutely. Um, but for PSG, the knock-on effect is Maurizio Pochettino's future is now in doubt. Obviously, he'll most likely not leave um, mid-season, um, but will most could most likely be gone in the summer. We've said from the start, Pochettino is not the right man to manage um, this PSG team. He can't manage the egos and the tactics he has does not suit the players that they they have mm-hmm. yeah certainly not um you see a team with such a wealth of talent um talent and quality and then it, like these sorts of games psg is a, such a level above all the other teams in their league in terms of quality in terms of individual quality and still there's games that they that they really get outplayed it's not even that they lose they just get outplayed and you just can't have that um and obviously there's also the looming issue of killing mbappe um his contract has still not been sorted out it's either rumored that psg want him to sign a new a short-term contract so they can si- sell him or he already has an agreement with real madrid to move in the summer but regardless it has not been sorted out and this constant um issue looming over them will affect them as we've, as we've said before it will affect them greatly um, especially if they still want to win the Champions League um, if this isn't resolved then that's the area that's going to affect them the most yeah absolutely if if he's not concentrated and fully in his game and committed to the team then yeah he probably won't um, he probably won't be at his very best and obviously considering he's probably one of PSG and I would even go as far as to say PSG's best player at the moment uh, this could be very very costly um, the other big game in, in Liga is between Monaco and Lyon Lyon have also done some nice business over the summer over the, over January uh, they did lose one of their best young midfielders in Bruno Gimmerainch to Newcastle um, but as well as removing other deadwood They've managed to bring in Romain Fave, who is one of the more hot prospects in France. Well, the best piece of business has been re-signing Tanguy Ndombele on loan after selling him for around £54 just over two years ago. (laughs) It will be interesting if Ndombele is able to reignite his career back at at Lyon. Um, uh, We're now going to have our goal-some break and then we'll be back with the Bundesliga and the Belgian League. Welcome back from our goal song break. You just heard the Zenit St. Petersburg goal song. Um, so Nick, what do you rate it out of the ten? It was pretty rubbish. Uh, it, was, it was it was just kind of chaos and not much substance. I didn't like it much. I'll give it a four out of ten. 
I'm gonna go even lower. I'm gonna give it a two. It's it's generally shit. Um, yeah. So now <laughs> we'll go on to the Bundesliga. Um, this is an interesting weekend in the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich played Leipzig. Leipzig are obviously um, they've uh, they're a renewed team. That they're good now after the last time these teams met uh, Bayern pummeled Leipzig 4-0 um, they're a completely different team now um, they're a lot more defensively shrewd and they look back to their nearly best as, as, as I said before and Bayern however are without Leon Goretzka who will be out for at least the next few weeks and will he's, tar- he's trying to target like the more intense part of the of the schedule so where he can play for Germany as well as the more important Champions League games etc and then obviously they're still without Alfonso Davies um, who is he has that issue with his heart and he'll be out until April but apart from that we're still looking at a relatively strong Bayern team so this is definitely going to be an interesting game to see if Bayern slip up um, however obviously a Bayern slip up doesn't mean anything if Bristol Dortmund can't capitalise on it and on Sunday Borussia Dortmund have, don't have an easy task as they play Bayer Leverkusen. Um, this game just produces goals. It, 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 it's just chaos the whole time. Um, the game early on in the season, it finished 4-3 t- to Dortmund. Um, and it, what will be key for Dortmund to win this will be if Erling Haaland is actually fit and firing. Um, and if he's not, then I could see Dortmund losing this because Leverkusen are no mugs and they're they're quite a they're they're a very difficult team to beat, um, and and they themselves like to score but can't really defend. Um, Gladbach, um, obviously before this mini break they were in tatters, um, now that has now got worse. Um, they've. Max Abel, the sporting director who took this team from on the brink of relegation, turned them around to a Champions League team. And then back Obviously to the they've brink. regressed. And then back to the brink of relegation. Yeah, they, they're back to the brink of relegation and they've regressed over the past years as obviously teams like Leipzig, Leverkusen have gotten stronger. Um, he's, he's, he's left the club and due to burnout. Um, which is understandable because the amount of energy that it takes to try and this club has been in tatters for nearly a year now <laughs> it's just ever since Marco Rose announced the decision to leave it's just been downhill um, and there's been apart from obviously the 5-0 there's been no real positives um, it, it it shows that Gladbach are, are in a state of a, of a rebuild um, <laughs> But now it's made even worse by the fact they need someone to kind of manage to rebuild themselves. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. There's not really a lot you can say that we've not said before. The team is it's not in a good place. Um, it's something, it's an issue when your player that has won the player of the month for the past three months has been your goalie. Um, <laughs> that, that's an issue. Um, and it's something that Gladbach need to address. Obviously, the first area sporting director. If it was me, I would say just bring in Michael Edwards, who's leaving Liverpool. If he wants a challenge, um, this is probably the biggest challenge you could get. Um, trying to turn this 
um, this old s s sleeping giant. This is a giant that's in a induced coma um, because of how much trouble they're in. Um, to turn them around to win the league against Bayern, if if he wants a challenge, and that, that this is it here. Um, but yeah, it. I think it is quite interesting how you have how many big teams are struggling. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach are just above the relegation zone. Wolfsburg are just above the relegation. I've just called Wolfsburg. Yeah, um, Wolfsburg are just above the relegation zone. Stuttgart are in the relegation zone. And then in the Zweiten League, you have the likes of Hamburg, Schalke, Werder Bremen. Um, it's just interesting how all these old guard teams are struggling now. And then you have the more new um, teams in the likes of Leipzig, Leverkusen, Hoffenheim, um, competing with the likes of Bayern and Dortmund. I just think it's interesting how we've seen that sort of decline of the of the big teams now. I think it's a, this. I think it's a. Oh, what's it called? I think it's um. The effects of years and years, of of Bayern Munich. And it's a bit of a stereotype, but I think it is. It is true that this is what happens, when when Bayern Munich is just constantly buying from their own league so much, their rivals just end up getting weakened so much, because like. If you just. Uh, it, it is of course a stereotype but if you look at Bayern Munich's current squad you have like you have Nabry you have Goretzka you have Sule you have all of these players who got taken out of, of the teams you you just you just mentioned and the really good players uh, so yeah like Wolfsburg and Schalke and all of that and then obviously they're, they're left without their, their best players and now they're all rubbish I, I think with what you just said it, it kind of if you look at most of the deals that happened, they've been they've been deals that no one has caught on to. So Serge Gnabry was only it, it, Serge Gnabry was an outcast in England. Um, no one wanted him, and so he obviously moved to he moved to Germany, he moved to Bremen for very little money, mm -hmm. um, and then Bayern bought him, obviously in a in a way that we've spoken about before. Um, Lewandowski is the most obvious one. He was bought on a free. Um, from Dortmund, Manuel Neuer didn't cost a lot of money. Um, neither did Goretzka, who I think moved on a free. Nicolas Sule didn't cost a lot of money. Marcel Sabitzer more recently was 15, 20 million. Although Sabitzer hasn't been that good. Um, all these people, uh, Joshua Kimmich moved from Leipzig for very little money. All these have been. It's been good business. As much as you can say, yeah, buying and um, buy all these players from these teams. Um, Bayern have more money than these teams because they're a better global brand so they have more members which thus meaning they're able to spend more money um, which is just how it is um, because it does, that's the way the 50 plus 1 will work, works in Germany um, but then on buying these players from rival teams they're all shrewd they're all deals that everyone else should have really cottoned on to I mean everyone else I mean outside of Germany so we're talking like the bigger clubs in in in, uh, in the other major four leagues, um, but they didn't. Um, and then obviously Bayern have have taken some of these players and developed them over time, and they're now some of the best in in their positions and and make Bayern one of the scariest teams around. And it's also worth noting Leroy Zane. He could have easily moved from Schalke to Bayern Munich, but he moved to Manchester City, 
and then moved from Manchester City to Bayern. Um, so he's the only issue that you could catch me on. You say, "Oh, Mario Götze moved from Dortmund to Bayern for thirty or whatever million, and then Upamecano moved for like forty or even more than that." Um, but once again, I think for the likes of Upamecano, no matter who it was, you were going to be paying a lot of money for him. Um, similar for Götze because they're both young players. And it goes back to what I said about the money, the 50 plus 1 rule, um, and that's how it's going to be, really. So transfers. Germany was relatively quiet, um, but there's some interesting things that happened. Max Kruse, who's he's a character, to say the least. Um, he, he, joined, he rejoins Wolfsburg from Union Berlin, but left Union Berlin in quite a manner, as um, he left for two times the salary at Wolfsburg than what he was earning at Union um, and that meant Union needed a replacement so they brought in Sven Michel from Paderborn it's a bit of a gamble on him because he hasn't any experience in, in the Bundesliga albeit he may be one of the top goal scorers in the Schweizer Bundesliga um, so we may see a similar pattern to Simon Tarot. <laughs> Um Wolfsburg as I mentioned they kind of removed Deadwood and kind of brought in a host of young players as you can see that's the direction they're going in now um, obviously they, they they got rid of um, Veghorst um, who moved to Burnley they've got rid of Joshua Gulavoggi um, John Brooks is leaving at the end of the season so they're clearly wanting to go down the much younger route and and the development of young players and that may be um, success for them for them further down the line um, Serdar Asmoon who's been one of Zenit St. Petersburg's best players over the past few years is, has moved to buy Leverkusen. Um, it was originally set for the summer, um, but Leverkusen brought it forward due to other moves that they've made. He's been brought in not to replace Patrick Schick, but to obviously compete with him and offer something different because they're completely different types of players. Um, Hoffenheim have done some interesting business and they've signed Finn Ole Becker from St. Pauli on a free, or he's joining. Um, on a free um, in the summer um, he's one of the next he's tipped he's performed well at this St. Pauli team who are top of the Zweite Liga and are, te are set to be he's set to be one of the next big things in Germany um, and then we've also seen an influx of players from the USA into Germany obviously Ricardo Pepe um, who we spoke about before um, joined Augsburg in earlier on in the window then you have Justin Che has joined, has moved from Dallas to Hoffenheim, and then Bello has moved from Atlanta to Armenia Bielefeld. Um, some of these you can maybe argue is a bit of a, a commercial move, um, similar to that of Pepe, because the amount of Augsburg jerseys that are being sent to America kind of skyrocketed, skyrocketed when this was announced. Um, but it is interesting to see how this connection between the there's now a, a lot stronger connection between the US and Germany. Obviously, you had players before like Tyler Adams, Weston McKennie, John Brooks, and many before that um, going from the US to Germany, but now it's, it's kind of increased tenfold. Um, so it'd be interesting to see the effect that this has um, on US football as well as the German m football money, really. Um, to finish off, Belgium. Obviously, we've mentioned them before. We'll mention them again. Union Saint-Gilloire. Um, we did say that they did have the um, 
that the only time we could you can maybe consider them as good contenders for the title would be when they are able to beat people around them. Well, in this period, after we've said that, um, they've just they've beat Anderlecht, um, and then they also drew with Club Bruges in a game um, that they should have won. Um, so we are now. Um, Obviously, this could be completely different come the playoffs, but they're on the definitely they're heading the right direction to be able to to win this title. Yeah, absolutely. They're really um, showing that it, that their first spot of place that that they fought for in the first half of the season it wasn't just a mistake. They're a good team and they and they outplay anyone they play against. Really, obviously not in every game, but in the games that it matters, they're really doing it quite well. So I, I definitely do think that they can generally win the title if they can keep this up. Um, one of the standout players um, for Union has been Dennis Undev. Um, what's most interesting about him, he's leaving to join Brighton at the end of the season, um, regardless of if they win the league or not. But what's interesting is in the space of two years, he's gone from Mepham in the third division of German football to Union, um, who were in the second division when he joined. Um, now in the first division, could potentially be league champions, and then he's moving to Brighton. So in the space of two years, he's gone from a third division player in Germany to, to, to a Premier League player, which I think is quite impressive, really. He's been having a great season as well. He's got 18 goals and 9 assists in 25 games, which is really great numbers. I think he'll do great at Brighton as well. Um, so that is it for today. Um, thank you for listening. Um, please like us, follow us, subscribe and whatever and yeah we'll be back um after the weekend uh yeah thank you very much for listening to us and we'll see you later